Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here. And if you want to open your Bibles along with me, we're in Numbers 33. We're actually just finishing up um, verses 50 through 56. Just want to mention that we are having a picnic right after the second service, and hamburgers and hot dogs have been supplied, and um, we always have a great time, so we encourage you to come if you're able to. And um, also, we have a marriage seminar that is coming up September 12th at the church, and it's going to be from 1 to 5 with a dinner following. And we've, we have a sign-up sheet out in the foyer on, on the wall, and I would really encourage any married couple or engaged couple to sign up. You know, if we ever get to a place where we think, well, you know what, I've got marriage not, then we're deceiving ourselves. There's always things we can learn. There's always things that can help us improve in our relationship. And so what we share isn't just a bunch of our own ideas. We're sharing from, from the Word of God. And uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be very encouraging. I, I just would hope you would sign up if you're a married couple. And uh, also... We have September 24th, the New Hope Banquet, and it's actually going to be at um, the gathering place now, the old North Syracuse Baptist Church. Because of the whole COVID thing, they're not able to have the dinner and, and, and like that. But we're still going to be having Ben Watson singing, a lot of great um, singing, a lot of Ben Watson uh, sharing with us. He was the MVP uh, for the New England Patriots, and he just loves the Lord. And we'll be doing a lot of singing as well. So we encourage you to still plan on attending that if you'd like. And also, uh, some people have asked about the bottles, the baby bottles for New Hope. You can bring them in whenever you have them filled and just place them back in that container and take another one if you'd like. And um, it's a great ministry, as all of you know. All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for the word because your word truly is, it's not just a verse of scripture we read, it truly is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Because, Father, we don't even know where we're going. But if we stand on your word, we're always going in the right direction. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would come by your Holy Spirit and use me to minister your word to these, your beautiful people. And I pray and ask this all in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Okay, so we are in Numbers 33, and we're going to be looking at verses 50 through 56 this morning. And um, some people have asked me, why was it that God wanted the Israelites in the land of Canaan? Why in this land? Why not in other, some part of the world? Well, there's nothing in Scripture that actually tells us definitively why God wanted them in this land. But if you look at a map of the world, Israel is right in the center of what was the known world of that time. You know, the East and, and the, you know, the Far East and, and also Europe and, and, and some of the Asian countries. And, and uh, it was right in the middle. And so I believe that the Lord wanted them there so that the message could easily travel throughout the world. In fact, uh, when Paul came on the scene with all the Roman roads that had been built, it made it easy for him to take the gospel throughout the known world. And so I believe that's probably one of the reasons why the Lord wanted them there. And also, those people had to be displaced because they had become so sinful. I mean, the sin of the Amorites, the sin of the Canaanites was 
dreadful. I'm not even going to get into it. But the worst things you can think, that's what they were doing. And so that's why they had to be driven out. So we're in Numbers chapter 33 and starting with verse 50. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Destroy all their engraved stones. Destroy all their molded images. And demolish all their high places. You shall, dis you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it. For I have given you the land to possess. And you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give larger inheritance, and to the smaller you shall give smaller inheritance. There everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls on him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, I shall be, I, I shall be, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. That's pretty sobering. If you don't drive them out, if you don't do what I've told you to do, then it shall be that I will do to you what I thought to do to them. You know, it's interesting because at this point, Israel is ready to cross over the Jordan into the land of promise, the land God had given to them. He made it very clear that this was to be their land. But he said, there's a few, few things you have to determine in your heart before you go over. Before you go over, you have to really determine these things in your heart. And, and look at what they were. Um, they had to be willing, they had to be willing to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. And that probably wasn't an easy thing for them because all of us have, you know, soft hearts in certain ways and we think, drive them all out and, and what a task that is. But they had to be willing to do that. And it also tells us not just to take the land, but to drive them out completely, leaving nothing, you know, left. And for you and I, it's like um, entering into the land of salvation and having the need to drive out all sin. Not just some sin, but to drive out all sin. Because um, we're given promises from God. Promises that he would give us beyond what we can, exceedingly beyond what we can even think or comprehend. That's what God wants to give us. But in order to be filled with God, we have to be emptied of self. And so we have to be willing to, by the Holy Spirit... It's the only way it can be accomplished, to drive out all these enemies of the flesh. Now, as they, um, I put my, I got new glasses, and they're not really great. Do you ever have that? You get new glasses, you're all excited to get them, and then you can't really read with them. And um, as they were directed to drive out all the inhabitants of the land, so must we. When we are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, we must be willing by the Holy Spirit, it's nothing we can do on our own to drive out all of our old nature. If we don't do what this portion commands us to do, it will come back and attack us later. 
Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 7.2. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy towards them. And the same thing is true with us. When we're born again, when our life has changed, when we, we are walking now in the land of salvation, we can't make covenants with the flesh. We can't make any kind of an agreement. There has to be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a separation of our fleshly desires in the direction of the Spirit. And when it talks about destroying all the carved images and uh, all their cast idols and tearing down their high places, it's just talking about their ways and means of worship. And when we get into Kings, Chronicles and Kings, you're going to find out that this was a problem. We're going to read where a certain good king went in and he conquered all these, you know, these lands but failed to tear down the high places. And because he failed to tear down the high places, sin in, ended up creeping back in to Israel. And then the next king would come in and many times the people would be worse than they were before. And for you and I, it would be those areas, um, you know, that somehow we have held sacred to us, but really are contrary to what God would have, his, have us do. Silly example. Let's say you're in, you've been in a Sunday golf league for most of your life, and boy, that's so important to you. That's kind of sacred in your life. Then you end up getting saved, and you find out you should be going to church. And your golf league starts at 10 in the morning and goes usually till 1 or so. What are you going to do? Are you going to submit to your fleshly desire to be with your friends? And not that there's anything wrong with playing golf or being in a golf league. I'm not saying that. Or are you going to surrender to the Holy Spirit and the Lord, recognizing that you're not supposed to forsake the gathering of yourself together as some have grown in the custom of doing, and, and we're supposed to gather together all the more as we see that day approaching. And anyone who has eyes to see knows that day is approaching. It's approaching very quickly. Now, the Lord has to be worshipped alone because we have to realize that God has no tolerance for us intermingling anything with pure worship. And that's one of the reasons, even in churches, even in Bible-believing churches, we have to be careful that everything we teach and everything we do as a fellowship lines up with the Word of God. It's so easy to allow things to come in, and, and oftentimes in a good sense. You know, we think this is going to be good, but it can end up being pretty contrary to God's Word. There are certain church groups, not criticizing any of them, many of them are wonderful, but there are certain church groups that they get all caught up. Okay, you know, now that we're Christians, we shouldn't be doing this, we shouldn't be doing that, and we have to be doing this, and we have to be doing that. And so, therefore, if you want to be part of our group, these are your membership requirements. Well, you have a problem there. Now you're taking man-made rules and regulations, and you're putting them above the Word of God. And so it might seem like a good thing. It might seem to even have positive reasons to do it. But in the long run, it is displacing the Holy Spirit's work in our heart, allowing him to do it. You know, we don't have to have a rule. There's no smoking in church. Because I doubt if anyone would smoke in church. 
You follow what I'm saying? Because if you're born again, and even many people who aren't, just a certain respect that they have for the church. My point simply being, you can't lay out man-made rules and regulations because man-made rules and regulations have a way of, of, of morphing and, and mutating and becoming something they never should be, where that almost becomes the focus of your worship service rather than the Word of God. The only way that we can be sure that we are following the Word of God is to teach the Word of God. To get off on some kind of a doctrine or hobby horse is, is just so wrong. We have to simply stick to the Word of God. And that's one of the reasons in our fellowship we go right through from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. And, um, you know, when we destroy all these uh, carved images and cast idols in these high places, we have to understand is that it's for the purpose of worshiping the Lord and not worshiping, you know, anything that is false, anything that is wrong. You know, just, just like, and, and, and I'm not being critical, I'm just using this as an example. In, in your King James Bible, when it talks about Passover, it uses the term Easter. Well, that's a wrong translation. There's no way, because it's paschal, the, the word that's being translated, which is Passover, and it was changed to Easter in order to meet the Eastern mindset of how it was to be celebrated. And actually, Easter is taken from the goddess of star. It's a celebration of the goddess of star. And uh, so there's something that seemed like a very little thing, but it made its way even into many Bibles, and it's wrong. We don't celebrate Easter. We celebrate the Passover. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so little things like that, they might not seem like a big deal, but they can mount up. You follow what I'm saying? And so it is so important for us to make sure that we worship the Lord, we worship him alone, we put nothing before him, uh, not anything even in our own lives. And, um, you know, our inheritance is so much greater than anything we, we can ever imagine having here on earth. You know, here on earth you might say, well, look at I got this and I got that and I got this. It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. The greatest inheritance we have is yet to come. We have stored up for us an inheritance in heaven that no one can touch. A thief can't break in and steal. No one can bother it. And it's ours. And it's there waiting for us. And it is real. Don't think it's just, you know, flowery words on, in our Bible. It's real. We have an inheritance waiting for us. We have a reward that is beyond what we can even think or imagine. Because God loves us. And the thing that's wonderful about that is it helps us, at least it should help us, get our perspectives right. Because even as believers, our perspective can be so down here worldly, so related to the flesh and to the world and everything that's going on. Oh, my gosh, you see what's going on? You know, we've got this whole COVID-19 thing, and, you know, I don't think that's right, and I think that's a lie, and this is going on here, and that's going on there. Oh, my goodness, do you... You want to know something? It doesn't make any difference. God is in charge, and what matters is we belong to him, and all this is pointing out is we're getting closer to the time of the rapture. There was last week a historic peace agreement made between Israel and uh, the Arab Emeritus. Is that how, we, how do you pronounce that? United Arab Emirate. United Arab Emirate. 
And there was a peace treaty that was made, and you might think, well, what's the big deal? Well, those Arab nations that are in part of the Arab Emirate, uh, they're the ones that when these other Arab nations in Russia and, and Turkey and all of them come against Israel, they're the ones that say, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing that. In other words, they're allies of Israel. Now, we just had that. It's a historic peace treaty. So we're supposed to watch for the signs of the times, and they're right there before us. And so I don't want to focus on, well, you know what Governor Como's doing? <laughs> I want to focus on Jesus. I, I know what's happening in the world, and I know we're getting close to that time when we're going to be leaving and being with the Lord. And so why get ourselves all entangled and bothered? And, you know, to me, it's hard not to. I'm being honest with you. It's hard not to. But to me, one of the most discouraging and distracting things that I can do is watch the news. Because I watch the news and I get so frustrated, and I get so caught up in it, and this and that. And you know what? What's going on has nothing to do with me. God is still on his throne. He's still in control. And everything that is happening is bringing us closer to that place of what we call the rapture. And brothers and sisters, I really think it's closer than we think. You know, in Isaiah 42 and 8, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor praise to carved images. And so we have to understand, God isn't going to give his glory to anyone or to anything. Now, of course, we don't have carved images, and we don't have statues in our, in our church and so forth, but the only one who should be getting the glory in our fellowship is the Lord. He alone. You know, you might be thinking, I'll tell you what, we have two of the greatest pastors in this entire city, especially the older one. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But my point is, in doing that, you, in a sense, are worshiping a carved image. I mean, I wish it was carved, but I mean, you're worshiping a carved image because it's not me that anyone should be looking at. It's the words that I'm sharing. It's directing people to the Lord. God alone is to be worshipped, and no one else, no man, no thing, just the Lord. You know, in Isaiah 46, 9, I'll have to look that up here. 46, 9, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning. God has declared the end from the beginning. Now that's interesting because from the very beginning he's declaring what's going to happen in the end. That requires a prophetic ability to tell in advance what's going to happen. And God has told us what's going to happen in exact detail. You know, Vi and I had a little getaway this week and we were talking to someone and they were asking us, uh, why is the Bible different than all these other holy books? And the answer is very simple if anyone asks you that question. It's prophecy. The Bible's one-third prophecy. And we were asked, actually, what is prophecy? Prophecy is telling you what's going to happen before it happens. And Scripture says the reason prophecy is put in the Bible is to show that it's from God. No other holy book, 
You know, whether you're looking at the Quran, you're looking at the Bhagavad Gita, you're looking at the Hindu verdicts, whatever holy book you're looking at, they have no prophecy. And the reason they don't is because if they prophesy something is going to happen and it doesn't happen, people are, are going to start thinking, this book is bogus. It's not true. But the Bible, unlike that, has prophesied things that would happen beforehand. And what's interesting, at least for you and I, we can look at the Old Testament and we can see what prophecies were fulfilled when uh, God, you know, set aside the Jewish people and brought them into the promised land and all these, you know, their Babylonian captivity, all these prophecies being fulfilled, but they're in our past. But brothers and sisters, we're living in a time like no other generation in American history in the sense that we have seen old prophecies being fulfilled in our time. I mean, maybe none of you were born before 1948. I was. But on May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation. In 1967, Jerusalem became their capital. Now it's even recognized by the United States as their capital. So what we're seeing is all these things being fulfilled. There are a growing number of Messianic Jews. That means Jews in Israel who believe in the Messiah. Mashiach, Messiah is the word we get Jesus from. And they believe in the Messiah. They believe in Jesus. And, of course, we know that partway through the tribulation, you know, there are going to be one-third of the Jews that believe completely in Jesus. Two-thirds of the Jews are slaughtered by the Antichrist, and that one-third is taken into um, a place of safety, into Basra, the Bible calls it. So all I'm saying is all these things that are happening before our eyes. How in the world could there have ever been a time in history before the time in which we're living where by just having a mark, you couldn't buy or sell? Have you gone into any stores lately through this COVID thing? And they say, we don't take cash. Cards only. And the thing... We have no change, so we can't be using cash. Doesn't that sound like an excuse to you? I have enough cash in my little banks and piggy banks and stuff at home to take care of all of, uh, you know, our county, Madison County. There's a lot of things that are happening that should be opening our eyes. Fear is what Satan has always used. And we see how easily fear has so quickly manipulated an entire society. So to believe that the Antichrist is going to come into power, Scripture says, by intrigue and by using fear should be pretty obvious to us. So what we're seeing is the sin, as the Bible predicts, of the Amorites is becoming full in our time. I mean, I don't have to go through all the lists I did a few weeks ago of all the things in our nation and in our world that, as, uh, that we're ashamed of, we should be ashamed of, but there's no shame. Scripture says they forgot how to blush. There's no shame in the things that are going on in relationship to you know, abortion and homosexuality and, and transgenderism and infanticide. And, and, uh, I mean, it's just, it, it's just you know, over and over, you know, the sex trafficking, things like that that are going on in front of our eyes, and 
people are saying and doing nothing about it. When you think of how many babies are murdered in the womb every year, and I've never seen the flag flown at half-mast for them. Well, we have to realize that we're living in that time, and we have to be so careful that the Lord um, is completely centered in our heart and we don't allow these things to distract us. Because we have to realize that you and I can't settle into the land of salvation, of being born again, unless God alone sits on the throne of our hearts. Anything or anyone else who sits on the throne of our hearts becomes an idol in our life. And so we have to understand that we must be willing to set aside anything that has become an idol in our life. But let me share something with you here because some people, I think, get confused in this because some of you might be thinking, well, I, I'm really concerned. I, I, I think my, my spouse you know, holds center place in my life or I think my children hold center place in my life. How do I know I, 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 I love the Lord more than I know, love my spouse and children? I don't know if I can say that. Well, it doesn't mean, okay, then cast them out. <laughs> Get them out of your life then if that's the, you know, they're, a cast, they're an idol in your life. No, no, no. Because God is very clear on the commitment that we have to marriage and to our children. So if we honestly do believe in our heart that our spouse holds a higher place than the Lord, our children hold a higher place than the Lord, it's not a matter of trying to separate our children from us. It's a matter of us drawing closer to God. Because the closer you draw to the Lord, he will become the center of your life. And your children are just part of that gift of love that he's given you. And so it's not a matter a lot of times of, of pushing people away. It's a matter of drawing closer to the Lord. And the closer we draw to the Lord, those people we love, we might be drawing closer to the Lord uh, ourselves. Now, what it does mean as we're drawing closer to the Lord is that we have to give him a place in our heart that makes everything else subservient. You know, um, this is years ago, and there was a young couple that started coming to our, our church. This is years ago, way back at another church. And uh, they both got saved, and they were just growing in the Lord. They were doing really great. And uh, he had a chance for a new job and to be transferred. And he asked me what I thought. And I said, well, it doesn't make any difference what I think. I said, you need to pray about it. And uh, because he was giving testimony that in our church he was growing, he was drawing closer to the Lord and, and so forth. And um, anyway, to make a long story short, he chose to take that job. And it became an idol in his life. And next thing you know, he wasn't going to church and so forth and so forth. And the end result of it, he and his wife were divorced and, and like that. And I'm not trying to say that to frighten anyone or to worry anyone. I'm just making the point that we can't even put work or a position above our relationship with the Lord. God has to be first in our life, no matter what. And um, we have to understand the victory is already ours in Jesus Christ. If we're willing to walk in the Spirit the victory over all these idols that we're trying to 
you know, put in their proper place is ours in Jesus Christ. He's already giving us the victory. Because any area that we allow to remain higher than the Lord will end up, as it tells us in this scripture, being a barb in our eyes and a thorn in our flesh. It really will. And uh, they'll give us troubles in walking in the land of freedom that the, God, that the Lord God has given us. Because you might be saying, well, I don't do that. Are you sure? Well, I, I, think the, I don't think the Lord minds if I do this. Well, you know, this is something I've always done. I don't think that's big a deal. Well, maybe it isn't, but maybe it is. Maybe there are things in your life that you have just made excuses for and allowed for that really aren't good, that really aren't beneficial to you. You know, like it tells us in scriptures, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And so we have to recognize that there might be those things that they're not in themselves that bad, but are they profitable to us? And there are other things that really are contrary to scripture. You know, like the guy who says, you know, all week I go without drinking. I only drink in the weekends. <laughs> I only get drunk in the weekends. Oh, well, then you're excused from the uh, verse that says drunkards will not enter the kingdom of heaven because, you know, you, you only get drunk once a week. Silly example. But that's the point that I'm trying to make, though, is there might be areas in our life that we're giving into that we shouldn't. For um, some reasons, um, there are those areas of our life, and, and you guys have probably experienced this as well. There are some areas of our life that when we get saved, we seem to have victory over right away, and, can, and it's just permanent. I mean, we have victory in that area. And there are other areas of our life that we seem to be falling, get back up, falling, get back up, falling, get back up, falling, get back up. And why that is, I don't know. Um, maybe it's because of certain resolves we have, or why, I don't know. But we have those areas that, man, we just have victory over. But these others that we're continuing to struggle with. The point is, is that we have to keep in mind that we need to continue struggling. To don't allow yourself to get to a place where you're saying, it's no use, I keep falling to that sin. Yeah, but you're struggling against it. And that's what the Bible commands us to do, to struggle against sin. doesn't mean we're going to necessarily have victory in every area, but we need to struggle against it because it's wrong and it displeases the Lord. And um, we have to realize that our victory is simply a willingness to struggle against our sin. You see what I'm saying? If you come to a place where you have an area that you're dealing with over and over, and, you know, I'll just use something benign as an example, okay? Let's say you find yourself spending the whole evening watching TV, and it's absolutely worthless, and you don't have time to do your devotions and this and that, and you say, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore, and, and so you, you, you know, you have two or three nights where you don't watch TV, and, and you're just, you know, you're into the Word, and you're being blessed, and, and God is meeting with you, and this and that, and the next thing you know, you're into TV again. Well, you don't want to just throw up your hand and say, see, I just can't do it. No, you struggle against it. 
you seek the Lord, and maybe you're going to watch two or three nights of worthless TV again, and then you turn around and you start spending time with the Lord again. The struggle is continuous. As long as we find ourselves in the flesh, we need to be struggling against sin. And that's what I love what it tells us in Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have um, apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we have to continue. We have to move. We have to be working towards that upward call the Lord has given us. And to determine our inheritance by lot, as it talks about here, it said they determine it by lot, that was simply means trusting the Lord. The bigger tribes got more uh, larger amounts and the smaller tribes got less amounts, but the land that they had was determined by lot. It simply meant where the Lord desired them to be. And we have to understand that our inheritance, or where we are, is by the Lord's will. And therefore, we should never allow ourselves to be jealous or envious over what this person has or what that person has or to be, you know, kind of depressed that I don't have this and I don't have that. We should just be thankful for what we do have. Thank you, God, for what I have. I'm blessed. I don't need anything more than what God has given me. You follow what I'm saying? Because the minute we start looking at others, we have a problem because we think we're better than them because we have more, or we think we're not as good as them because they have more than we do. We can't do that. Just be thankful for wherever you are in the Lord, have peace in it. And the Lord God is going to give you the comfort that your heart desires. And, um, <laughs> you know, God makes it so clear that if we want to follow him, we just have to follow him with peace and contentment not desiring anything more. We shouldn't be following Jesus. And that's one of the reasons I'm, you know, kind of stumbling around here a little bit, but that's one of the reasons that those health, wealth doctrines are, are so um, contrary to the Holy Spirit because those doctrines are saying, well, if you really love the Lord and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God's going to pour out a blessing of wealth on you that you can't even imagine. You're going to be so rich you're not going to know what to do with your money. Or if you're sick, God wants to heal you. No matter what you have, he's going to heal you. And it's a false doctrine. And a lot of people have been turned away from the Lord because of it, because they follow and they do all the things they're supposed to do. They give their double ties to the pastor, who is getting rich, by the way. And they do all these kinds of things. And nothing happens, and they get discouraged, and they, you know, stop going to church. And the same thing with people who... I don't understand. I'm still sick. I'm not getting better. Well, maybe it's not the Lord's will for you to get better. We have to realize our reward is not in this life. Our reward is stored up for us in heaven where no one can break in and steal, where moth and rust can't destroy. That's where our treasure is. And so for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. There's absolutely no fear there. At least there shouldn't be. And the thing we have to realize is that the Israelites made the mistake I don't know if you knew this, but you will as we continue on in our study. They didn't drive out all the Canaanites. They didn't drive out all the people God commanded them to drive out. And you know what? 
that came around and bit them. Because Israel, remember God said, if you don't do that, then I'm going to do to you the things that I intended to do to them. Remember we read that? Well, that's just what happened. Because they didn't drive out all the sins of the Amorites, they didn't tear down all their idols and their high places and so forth, they ended up falling into the sin and worship of these Amorites and Canaanites. And God put them, took them into 70 years of Babylonian captivity where they lost everything, everything, even the land that they had. They were completely deposed from the land, dispossessed from the land. And they, they had it hard in slavery. And why? Because they didn't get rid of all the people God told them to get rid of. They started worshiping their God the way the Amorites and the, and the Canaanites worshiped their gods. We read all the time, about this king came into power when we get into Chronicles and Kings. This king came into power and he did all this wonderful thing and he did all those wonderful things and then it'll tell us, but he didn't tear down the high places. Remember reading those? He didn't tear down the high places. Well, we have to be willing to tear down the high places in our heart, in our life. Because our greatest desire is to just have simple fellowship and worship with our God, to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength to walk in all of his precepts and his ways. Well, it doesn't mean you're going to have complete victory. It's a struggle through this entire life. But we have to desire to tear down all the high places in our life. And Jesus Christ came to give us the victory. There's no reason any of us can't have that victory. We have something that the Israelites didn't have. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the full sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for the victory you've given us in the Lord. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would take the words that were shared this morning and use them to minister to each one who's here. And Lord, as we get ready to partake in communion, I pray, Father, that our heart and souls would be open to receive all of your dunamis power in order to turn our back on all the things of this world and to get rid of all the Amorites and Canaanites in our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the things that is so beautiful about what we call the Last Supper, when Jesus met in the upper room with his disciples, it was the last time that he would be meeting with them like this before his crucifixion because it was right after that he was taken into captivity. But he met with them, and one of the things that he did is it was the day of, uh, it was preparation day, it was the day of their, like, Seder dinner. It was the week of unleavened bread. And so he took unleavened bread, just like this. This is matzah, it's unleavened bread. And he took it, and he broke it. And he said, my body's going to be broken for you. He used it in a symbolic way of letting them know he was giving everything for them. Jesus Christ gave everything for us. Everything. He gave his life, his blood, his back to the whip. He gave everything for us. By his stripes, we are healed. And by the blood of the new covenant, we are cleansed and sealed. That's the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
And so Jesus said to his disciples, and he says it to us, we find this also in Corinthians, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me, of all that he's done. And so that's what we're doing this morning. And so we'll have our ushers come forward and we'll pass out the, uh, the unleavened bread and, and the fruit of the vine and we'll share it together. Understand there's no sin that can keep you from the Lord. His sacrifice on the cross was complete and full. And all anyone has to do is confess and repent, and they will be cleansed and purified and filled with his Holy Spirit. That's the promise of communion. That's the promise of his continuous sacrifice for you and I. And therefore, brothers and sisters, take, eat, and drink, and be so thankful to your Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this communion and for the remembrance that it really does bring to our hearts. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would truly minister to our hearts and souls that we might be your children. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. And before we leave, I want to have all of us pray for our little sister, Shailene. <laughs> I don't want to get any more. She's been coming here since she's seven years old. 
and she's leaving for college Wednesday. And so she's going to be away from us for the first time in, well, let's see, you're seven and you're 18 now, 11 years. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we lift Shaylin up and we ask Heavenly Father that you would bless her and encourage her and just give her uh, a peace in the studies she's pursuing. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would use her everywhere she goes to be your witness and put your hedge of love and protection around her and we commit her into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. She, she's the eighth Thomas child. 